we come on in the story of Jonah now to chapters 2 and 3. And here's Jonah in chapter 2, praying unto the Lord his God out of the, the fish's belly. And going through this psalm, or this prayer of Jonah, it's really kind of a, a psalm really, um, it's full of allusions to the psalms and to other scriptures. For example, he talks about praying towards your holy temple. This is very much First Kings 7, when the temple is dedicated, Solomon says that when uh, Israel sin, they can always pray towards God and his holy temple. And so many of the, the phrases that Jonah's using here are straight out of the psalms. Verse 3 he talks about how the, the floods compass me about, all your billows and your waves passed over me. This is exactly out of Psalm 42, verse 7. And uh, you're probably aware of this. I'm just giving this as just one example. As Psalm 42, 7 says exactly the same. Um, <clears throat> deep calls unto deep. The noise of your water spouts, all your waves and your billows are gone over me. And you can go through the uh, margin references in your Bibles and work this out quite, quite easily, that he's alluding all the time to the Psalms. So there he is, inside the fish's belly, inside this most unusual situation that is totally unique to, it seems to anyone, to have a big fish created by God to swallow you up in this very odd situation he was in. And we may think, well, yes, this was very uh, unusual, uh, but my life is sort of normal actually if you really analyze your life you will see that actually your life is also in that sense amazingly unique that each of us have been in situations that no one else has been anywhere near and the point is that in those situations where the unusualness of it is uh, so unusual that it it makes us feel lonely you know that feeling that Nobody else on the planet has actually been where I have been, has actually been through what I have been through, in this sense or that sense. Um, that in those moments of, if you like, existential loneliness, God's word comes alive. Sometimes we think, well, what's the point of reading Psalms or reading this or that that appears not to apply to me, I don't even understand. I think the point is that insofar as God's word daily dwells within us, Suddenly you're in a situation, and suddenly that word comes alive to you. Just as the Psalms about all your billows and your waves have passed over me, whether that was David or the original Psalmist feeling that, suddenly there's Jonah in the sea, and then gulp swallowed up, and inside a specially prepared fish, suddenly that became alive and relevant to him. And it is in this sense that God is in dialogue with man, that his word speaks directly to us. But it will only do so if, if we are aware of it. And that, that's why I, I do believe that we should persevere with our Bible reading. And particularly, maybe when we're first converted, it might seem so pointless. When it seems so much, I don't understand. But bit by bit, and this is uh, almost an art form, uh, bit by bit, it all comes together in a beautiful picture, especially when we are suddenly thrown into situations like this. So, don't think that Jonah in that sense was so unique. We are all in unique lives and situations. So, he's obviously done wrong. He tries to run away from God. And although he doesn't uh, directly quote it, there is, of course, Psalm 139, which says 
even if I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. Where can I go? Where could I flee from you? If I mount up to heaven, go down to the depths of the sea, you are there. And although he doesn't specifically quote that verse, it would seem to me that somebody who knew the Psalms so well would surely have known that psalm. And from that you can take the lesson that you can know the scriptures extremely well and yet not know them. He clearly knew the psalms well because he quotes, as far as I can see it, about 15 different psalms here. He clearly knew them well, by heart, and they were in his heart. And yet it's a bit like David when he messes up with uh, Ohio uh, and the cart and, and Azo gets uh, smitten because he didn't carry it uh, as he should. He didn't transport it as he should. And yet this was a man, David, who loved God's law and says he read it all the day and studied it all the day. He makes a basic mistake. And this is the blindness of human nature. And, of course, we look at ourselves in self-examination thinking, well, what is staring me in the face that I just don't let myself see? You know, Psalm 139 was staring Jonah in the face. You can't run away from God. Wherever you go, you can't. He's there. Climb up to heaven, go down to the depths of the sea, he's still there. And yet it not only is a cause for us to look at ourselves, but I think also it's the, the blind spots of other people that are so irritating and, and can even drive people to lose their own faith because they can't accept that other people can be believers, can have God's word, uh, before them and yet apparently be so blind to what to them is obvious just remember that that is basically part of the human condition and you and I have that very same problem ourselves and in the same way as we believe that God will cut us a lot of slack we have to in this life cut others a lot of slack for their blind points and unless you actually do that you will find that any relationship is in fact impossible, it seems to me. Now, Jonah is cast into the sea, and although he asked to be cast into the sea, he says in verse 3, you threw me into the, into the sea, into the deep, into the midst of the seas. Nearly every time in the Bible where the idea of being cast into the sea is used, it stands for condemnation. Babylon is thrown like a great millstone into the sea. And so he feels that he has been condemned. Verse 4, I said, I am cast out of your sight. Yet, I will look again toward your holy temple. So he feels that he's condemned. That he feels is in the belly of the grave. That he has been condemned and that's it. He had his chance, he had his choices. He chose wrong and now he's been condemned. Yet, he says, I will still look to your holy temple. Now, in the... Romans 1 to 5, Paul uses the language of a judgment seat in this life, and he says that we have been condemned. We have stood before the court, and quite rightly, we have been condemned, and that's it. We have been condemned to death, and that's it. But there is a way out, and this is where grace comes in. Now, if only we can feel that, that we have come to the day of judgment already, and the answer is no. Left-hand side, depart from me. You are not worthy of me. And then, somehow, that verdict is changed. You can maybe imagine it a little bit easier if you think about you coming before the Day of Judgment and the Lord Jesus saying, I'm sorry, no. Um, Left-hand side, 
I never knew you and you never really knew me. And then we like, please, please, please. We think, well, you know, the verdict can't be changed. I've been condemned. No, please, please just change it. Please, please, please. And he turns around and says, okay, I will. There you are. Eternity, you can have it. And you just think of that eternal gratitude that we would then have. The point is that actually has been our situation. That, like Jonah, we have all been condemned, but you can be condemned in this life and yet change the verdict. And this is Paul's point, that it's not actually that he just shrugs and lets us off. The verdict is changed because we're in Christ and we are declared right. This is obviously a legal term. And here in, in Jonah, he feels condemned, and he is condemned. He's thrown by God into the sea, into the deep, just like Babylon just like Nineveh, in a sense, and yet he repents, and God accepts that. Now, he says, verse 4, and he's obviously alluding to Solomon's prayer, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Follow through this idea of looking uh, and temple. You find these words occur in two other places, and you may like to jot them down. Psalm 102, verse 19, and Isaiah 63, verse 15. And those verses say that God looks from his temple to us. God looks from his temple to us. Same words when Jonah says, I will look towards your temple. But from his temple, he looks at us. Now, that opens up an amazing idea, a beautiful idea, that we catch each other's eye, that God looks from the heavenly courtroom, from the heavenly temple to us, and we, like Jonah, feeling condemned, being condemned, look in desperate hope for his grace towards his holy temple. And there's Jonah looking at, towards God's holy temple, and God looking from his holy temple to him that has a, a contrite and broken spirit, and there's a, a catching of the eye. That is when a man or woman meets with their God. But until you have really recognized that you are a serious sinner and have been condemned, I'm afraid you will not have that moment, that flash moment, we could call it, between God and man. You will not experience that. If you are so not really convicted that you have been uh, condemned and that you desperately as a condemned sinner lift your eye in a desperate hope for grace to the God of all grace in heaven you can be baptized you can be a prominent member of, uh, of the congregation for years, for decades and still not get there and yet God wants you to get there and God works through human weakness and failure to bring men and women to that situation and that if you've not been there that's where God is bringing you without any question that's why at the end of his psalm almost at the end verse 9 he says um, he just says salvation is of the Lord that's pretty well the word the Hebrew word Yehoshua Jesus is certainly the idea Yahweh's salvation that's what Jesus or Yehoshua means and he just says that at the end of his prayer. Salvation is of Yahweh. Yehoshua. Jesus. 
he's brought to Christ, even in an Old Testament sort of way, if you see what I mean, uh, through it all. And I love verse 8. They that observe lying vanities, he means idols, forsake their own mercy. I think that what he's implying there is that every other religion, every other idol, every other thing you could do with your life, whether your idol is your career, your house, your car, your sport, whether your idol is a piece of wood and stone or whatever, I think what he's saying is that all those things, be it religion or be it in a more figurative sense of idolatry, that all those things lack something called mercy or grace. And it's a bit odd that he puts that in there, unless you, know, you, you follow through the idea of grace, that he has been convicted of condemnation, and now he's appealing for God's grace, and he feels he's got it. He feels he's got it. And because he says, verse 7, my prayer came in unto you, into your holy temple. I looked there, and I caught your eye, and I know my prayer came into you. And you, Yahweh, are the only God, really, who could show grace like this. And that, I think, is the distinctive feature of the truth, of a true understanding of God in theological terms and in experiential terms, that the God of all grace... The God who can condemn, quite rightly, and then with integrity also look at the desperate hope for grace coming from us and respond and say, okay, you are saved. Uh, with complete integrity. Uh, that is unique to true Christianity. And it was unique to the, the God of Israel in the Old Testament. And it is unique above any possible, anything else, any idol, whatever be it figuratively in our lives, be it um, other religions or whatever, that grace, properly understood, of course, is the only, is the, the final distinct, unique characteristic of the one true God. Now, he says, verse 9, I will pay that which I have vowed. I will perform what I promised you. What did he promise in response to this grace? Well, I think it's pretty clear the response was to go and do what he was told and preach to Nineveh. And so the fish spits him out on dry land. Now, he wasn't spat out just next to Nineveh. There's no ocean near Nineveh. Um, he would have been spat out, I think, onto the land of Israel. And I think that... That must have been the case because the, in chapter 1 we saw that the sailors tried to row the boat back to land. So I doubt they were that far off land. I mean, typically they travelled uh, in sight of land as far as they could. And so then they were, I think, near the land of Israel. And so the, the fish spat him out on land, on, in the land of Israel. And he had to make his way to Nineveh to respond to this grace by preaching the gospel. Now, the connection between uh, preaching the gospel and having experienced grace is quite common. I mean, Jesus, when he makes the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he, first of all, convicts the disciples of their sin because he says to them that they have sinned 
and that they are fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, and therefore, because he has convicted them of their sin, therefore he sends them out with that message of forgiveness and salvation. You see it in sort of other Old Testament uh, manifestations. I think when when the uh, the, the king of Babylon is, is convicted of, of the greatness of God, he makes a, a declaration to the whole world under his control should worship the true God. It's the same with, uh, with, with Peter, really. Um, when he's told to go and, and catch men, he's first of all convicted, I think, of his own materialism, his own obsession with, with his career of fishing, etc., now that should then be the motivation for our witness and that is of course what makes witness powerful and meaningful because what Jonah achieved with Nineveh was amazing there was something in him that made 120,000 people and you could read that in chapter 4 verse 11 120,000 who couldn't tell their right hand from their left you could read that as saying this is a city in which there was 120,000 children now in that case this would be a, a big city I mean it was three days journey to walk through the place so it was a big city and they repented Jesus says at the preaching of Jonah so there was something in in Jonah that convicted them I mean if this guy had just walked in and said you know what fellas in 40 days you're going to be destroyed and that was it I mean people would have laughed at him but they really as we know they repent they get very worked up and they really believe this there was something about Jonah that convicted them because to simply walk into a city and say yeah 40 days you're going to be destroyed I don't see how that of itself would have would have got beyond anywhere really. Um, you know, the first couple of people who saw him would have like you know sent him off to the uh, loony bin. But there was something in him that made people stop. Now it could be that having been three days inside the fish, <coughs> the uh, the acid and etc. within the fish would have bleached his hair or done something to him. Whatever, there may have been a physical sign on him of his experience, but whatever, it seems to me that he would have shared with them his experience. And it was his experience of forgiven sin, which I think convicted them of their need to repent. And it is that which gives an edge to our preaching. It is that which really persuades people. Not, as is so wrongly and so commonly thought, the smartness or the slickness of the presentation. That's a very, very human way of thinking. That if we make a slick presentation, people will therefore and thereby be convinced. This doesn't happen. And, you know, years and years of experience, decades, centuries even, have proven that. It is the personal witness and conviction of someone who has come to that point in their life where they have looked desperately to God with that desperate hope that he might be gracious, uh, which convicts others. And, of course, this is exactly what happened with the Ninevites. They weren't told, unless you repent, in 40 days you will be destroyed. They were told, in 40 days you shall be destroyed. And it was as simple as that. In 40 days you will be destroyed. 
they were condemned. That was it. And they decided they would repent anyway uh, in case God would be merciful. And this is in um, verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent that we perish not? He knew they were condemned. But he said, well, let's, let's repent because who knows? God, even at this stage, may change. And I think the, the only motivation for that understanding of God would have been Jonah's experience of condemnation. Don't forget, being cast into the sea was the very language used about Babylon. And there's a lot of connections between Babylon and Nineveh. So it's almost as if the condemnation that was planned for Babylon and Nineveh, in a spiritual sense, to be cast into the sea and forgotten forever, that this was what happened to Jonah when he was cast into the deep. And yet, there, he desperately looked to God and caught God's eye, as I suggested, as it were, and was saved. Now, this then, as I say, really should be the motivation for our witness. And in doing so, we are truly witnessing of Jesus. Because, Matthew 12, 38 to 41, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the fish's belly, so Jesus was in the heart of the earth, and he came out. And the parallel is set up for us, that you know, Jonah was thrown into the sea, into the deep, this is Jesus dying, thrown, as it were, into the grave. He's in the fish for three days and three nights, Jesus three days and three nights in the fish. Jonah is spat out on a dry land, that is Jesus, resurrected from the dead. And now what's the next parallel? Jonah goes and preaches. What did Jesus do after he was resurrected? Did he go and preach? Well, he himself didn't. But he sent the disciples to. And in that sense, because he was so identified with the disciples, you could say that he preached. Therefore, as we go out into this world, we are him and he is us. We carry his name. And in the whole work of witness, and I don't mean, you know, getting on a plane and going to some other country. I mean in the work of talking to people in your life whom you know. Insofar as you do that and make a conscious effort to do that, you will feel the presence of Jesus very strongly. And in that sense, I am with you unto the end of the age. I am, you know, with you in every way, because you are manifesting me. So, the whole uh, crying of Jonah to God in prayer, which we, we, have, which we read about in, in chapter 2 there, um, chapter 2, verse, verse 2, I cried by reason of mine affliction, and the Lord heard this, oddly enough, is the same word, same Hebrew word, that is used about his preaching to Jonah, uh, to Nineveh. Chapter 3, verse 2, same word. Preach unto it the preaching, the crying, that I bid you, that I cry to you. And so in verse 4, Jonah came into the city and he cried the message. Same word used about how he cried to God in prayer. So you see the, the connection that he felt that his response to the fact that God had heard his prayer and saved him and had mercy upon him was to cry to others. 
We can't be passive to our salvation. We cannot, if you really believe it, if you really believe it, you cannot just shrug and think, oh, that's pretty cool, I'm going to be saved. If you really believe it, it must issue in so much more than that. So then, we're told that he had to tell them that in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed, but, verse 4, he started to do this, uh, he began to enter into the city a day's journey, but the city was three days' journey across. That's how I understand verse 3. Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. He began to enter into the city a day's journey and said, Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So, if he went for three days, saying, look, in forty days it's going to be overthrown, I mean, by the time we come to the third day, he wasn't saying, in forty days it's going to be overthrown, he was saying in thirty-seven days. Now, isn't it interesting that if Jesus died at AD 33, there was a period of 37 to 40 years going on to AD 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed. There's a very close parallel between Jonah and, and Jesus. It really is very, very close. So then, we are to be as Jesus, that he rose from the dead and preached, just as Jonah came out of the whale and preached, uh, not because he personally did. It's not that he personally walked around or, or walks around the streets of our cities preaching. He does so through you and me. And if only you can feel it, that you have sinned, been condemned, and yet been saved, and that you looked under God in his holy temple, and God looked from his holy temple to you, and you caught each other's eye, then the only response, not the only response, but the, the natural response is to go and tell other people that. And you will be so persuaded that you will somehow be credible in an amazing way, just as Jonah was.